This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted that you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Dennis Mandich. He's the CTO of Crypt. As the co-founder and CTO of Crypt, Dennis drives a technology roadmap and secures the global expertise to achieve the company's vision. Dennis is also a founding member of the Quantum Economic Development Consortium, the QEDC, as well as a founding member of the Mid-Atlantic Quantum Alliance, two organizations that are focused on advancing the quantum ecosystem. Dennis is a physicist and holds multiple patents in cryptographic algorithms, cloud services, and quantum hardware entropy sources. Before Crypt, Dennis served 20 years in the U.S. intelligence community, working on innovative technology essential to national security. We'll learn more about that in a moment. His company, Crypt, is a post-quantum cryptography and encrypted communications company with 25 years' experience in deep tech in government and industry. The company makes everlasting encryption accessible to all by reimagining how data is encrypted, transmitted and stored. So welcome, Dennis. Thanks for joining me on the Quantum Tech Pod. Uh, thank you, Chris. And nice to hear from you again. I've seen you a few times in person and love the work that you guys are doing. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate the kind words. Dennis, I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. So my objective really is twofold, certainly to give our audience a sense of what you did before you founded Crypt but also to orient our audience to the fact that there are various paths people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So if you could share with our listeners a bit about your background and path so far, so where, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, what you studied, insight into the organizations where you worked and, and the roles you had. Yeah, sure. I've uh, kind of convoluted path to get to where I am today. I uh, was born in uh, Croatia in the former Yugoslavia, where uh, I initially grew up and we ended up having to escape from the country, ended up as a refugee in Austria while we waited for asylum in the U.S. Um, moved to the U.S. and, of course, in, culturally, we were always interested in science and, and anything that had to do with engineering. My father was an engineer, worked on the Ticonderoga class uh, guide to missile destroyers. So I was always wanting to do something in the government from, you know, being a small child, went to grad school for physics, uh, was recruited by the intelligence community to work on some high-tech projects there, ended up spending 20 years there. Um, my background is in, in string theory and, and quantum mechanics. Wow. So worked on some of that there and did the science fiction level projects for the government before I moved on. And, and one of the real big reasons for getting into what we're doing today is the scale of the data theft that we saw um, from foreign governments from the U.S. and the transfer of wealth from the U.S. to these other countries that if we had just encrypted that data, we would not be in this position that we're in today. And then in the early 2010s, we saw encrypted data getting harvested for you know future exploitation. You know, some countries play these long games and long strategies and, and they're winning at them. That that was really a lot of the motivation that got me to help start crypt. Wow. So, so the segue is our listeners are always interested in you know how quantum companies founded. So it sounds like you had many motivating factors, but 
wondering if there was like an epiphany, like a light bulb moment, you know, an aha moment where yeah. you said, let's, you know, based on what I've seen and what's going on, this would be the time to start a company. It was really the rise of quantum computers and the NIST uh, competition to put together a cryptographic solution that would be secure against those future quantum computers. Again, it didn't make sense to me from the intelligence community side why anybody would be harvesting encrypted data when the machines didn't exist to break it. And then going back to the Cold War, there are things like the Venona program where the U.S. government did that, but it was not for commercial advantage and stealing intellectual property from companies to commercialize that and ultimately monetize. It was really for you know protecting us from nuclear war or a, uh, a terrorist attack and things like that. So our, our motivations in the U.S. are very different, and that's really what started me uh, along this path is that we have to do something nationally for national economic security. We have to do this, bring it to market, make it very easy for companies to use. And there's really no reason why sh people should not be transitioning to post-quantum. They shouldn't be building systems now based on classical crypto because it will become sunset soon. Yeah. Well, it seems like, uh, so certainly cybersecurity has evolved, you know, from enterprise afterthought maybe or costly burden to a topic that's of critical interest now, and certainly at the board level. And you described probably, you know, the value from a sort of public sector, government, military conversation would be probably comparatively easier to explain than, say, having this conversation, you know, framing this topic uh, in conversations with senior execs at uh, private sector companies or client organizations. How do you, how do you describe that? Yeah, fortunately, uh Organizations like you know, IQT, QEDC, a lot of the media has picked up on this and made it more uh, front page news. Yeah, yeah, it's not you know every CEO's dream to think about doing something for this issue when they've got burning issues like phishing and ransomware, but it is strategic. So you know, the companies that look at the big picture, they look to the U.S. government, what's happening in the U.S. government. And just in January, there was a national security memorandum signed that the government will transition to post-quantum crypto systems now. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, President Biden signed an executive order on this exact issue. And just before that, Crypt was consulted on, should there be a bill in Congress for this? And they finally got it passed. It's Yes, this is a national economic security issue. Yeah. If we lose more data, if more of this doesn't get secured, we're vulnerable for not just IP theft, but people bringing down critical infrastructure, turning off machines in hospitals, and, and everything under the sun. So I also want to ask, I mean, since you're, you know, on the front lines of these conversations, how do you consult with companies about like what to, you know, what to capture and protect? And, and those have got to be some complex like business conversations about, what, you know, what data do we go after first? You put together some kind of roadmap about where you start, you know, start with this, then move to this. So that that's an easy conversation coming from the U.S. government because in the U.S. government systems, there are varying degrees of classification, everything from sensitive but unclassified to secret yeah. to top secret to code word. It's the same kind of taxonomy that you could bring to an enterprise. Mm -hmm. What is the secret sauce in your company for your pharmaceutical formula or process or you know the formula for Coca-Cola or whatever it may be? And then executive communications, things that need to be durable for the long term. It's not, you know, exchanging the cat videos. Yeah, we should fix all that eventually. <laughs> but let's start with the top, the things that are really important and valuable to that company. 
that if they're compromised now or five years from now, if they're captured and decrypted later, what would that do in, to impact your organization, your business? Yeah, no, that's terrific. Thanks for explaining that. I'm certainly leveraging models around classification, um, you know, top-level security kinds of uh, models in this private sector setting. Makes perfect sense. Let's shift gears for a moment. Talk about your portfolio. So, I read that rather than generating a key and then distributing it, you can generate the same identical key in multiple locations. So this means that you don't need to distribute your keys at all, meaning they're never at risk. That's right. Uh, and I, right. And I read developers can easily download and include the Crypt SDK in their application to increase security of their uh, applications and infrastructure. Tell me how they can do this. Yeah, so one of the systems that we use in public key infrastructure is the asymmetric algorithm. That's the public and the private key that you use to share the symmetric key, which is the one that actually crypts, encrypts your data. That's the system that's been uh, theoretically broken by quantum computers. That's the whole motivation behind the NIST post-quantum crypto uh, competition that's going on. I know they don't like the word competition, but it's a competition. Yeah. The uh, the the problem here is is that these new algorithms and many actually the vast majority of them have fallen for any number of reasons. We don't have any mathematical proof that they are hard. That there won't be a discovery tomorrow that those will be found weakened or broken as well. So it doesn't really solve the problem of harvest now and decrypt later. The problem is more fundamental. It's that we're using that system to distribute keys. We're sending keys around with the material that you need to, to decrypt what those symmetric keys are. So Crypt's solution is to use largely that same infrastructure, but a variant of it. That system is only used to send you effectively the recipe for creating a key at the endpoint. And the way we do that is we make large numbers of quantum random number generated appliances available through the cloud. There's two steps in our process. One is sampling that randomness from the cloud, from crypt. We're a cryptographic utility in that case. Each endpoint in here, Alice and Bob, will download some amount of random from the cloud. And that last piece of bit of information that's exchanged between them is about the recipe for distilling that random. It's called cryptographic extractors. We extract from that large amount of random that they've downloaded a single key that's known to both of them at the endpoints, but it's not vulnerable to that harvest now and decrypt later piece of that key exchange because that never happened. This is a separate mechanism that generates the key and it's also decoupled from the data that you're encrypting with it. So the channel for encrypting data, let's say you're doing it on Facebook or WhatsApp or anything like that, they have no idea what the key was that was used to encrypt that data. Similarly, we, Crypt, the cryptographic utility, have no idea what the key was that was generated at those endpoints because it was never sent across the wire. Huh. It was never a time when it's vulnerable on in the infrastructure. So, Dennis, speaking of NIST, right, whether they think it's a competition or not, they're in the process, right, of evaluating algorithms and making a recommendation. So their direction is, you know, they're going to be used to coordinate key generation, but never for the distribution of keys. So I want to get your take on, you know, how these soon to be released, and I say that in quotes, air quotes, I'm making them as we speak, <laughs> um, how those standards are going to affect your solution. Oh, they're, they're great for us. It's an improvement from using anything like RSA or ECC. We still have that that asymmetric exchange, but it's not to distribute keys. It's only to distribute the information that you need to access our service 
on how to generate those keys at the endpoints. And that's ephemeral. It only lasts for a short amount of time. So it, it won't be useful five years from now if someone recorded all those conversations. And again, recall that this is a separate channel, the channel from coordinating that key creation than the one that's used for encrypting data and the one from accessing us as a utility. Just sidebar, when do you think we'll hear from them? Any, what's your gut wow. sense? <laughs> Any well, idea? What happened in March was the uh, flurry of activity. All right. And uh, we've been monitoring some of the back and forth on that. Um, our cryptographer, Yevgeny's in, in all those groups as well. He's uh, part of that dialogue. But the surprising piece to me was that this issue over the French patent over some of the algorithm content Huh. is still unresolved in some people's opinions. I, I thought it was done, but that could be what's holding it up. Fingers crossed we'll hear from them soon. Right? Yeah, we hope so. So, Dennis, I've been looking for an opportunity to put an expert like you, put a question to an expert like you around quantum networks. So at the risk of being the gadfly, uh, my sense is, and again, I'm not a physicist like you, but it seems like you know, once viable quantum networks get deployed, that the conversation around data security is going to have to change dramatically, right? Because at that, that point, if a hacker tries to steal the data, basically it goes away. So certainly until then, the store now, decrypt later approach is critically important. But what about after quantum networks are a viable option for securely transmitting data? What's your take on how that will change the post-quantum cryptography conversation? Yeah, the quantum networks means a lot of different things to a lot of people now. It's uh, yeah. sometimes become a marketing term, frankly, yeah. for, um, so even software companies that have no quantum hardware. So l let me just describe what I believe we can call a quantum network is a classical network distributes bits. A quantum network distributes qubits. If we all agree commercially that that's the simple way to describe it, um, then I think we can all agree that that's going to be ultra secure. However, you need things like quantum repeaters and quantum memory, which are coming online now to really build that fully deployed quantum network. But it'll be a long time before that reaches an endpoint like a cell phone. It's going to be intra to, to in between data centers nationally and possibly worldwide to connect those big data networks. But those receivers, those physical devices that you need yeah. to get that key to your endpoint, that will still be software. Unless... You know, quantum secure networks have existed for a long time. We, we used them during the entire Cold War. There were a series of random numbers that were generated from a quantum entropy source that were used to do one-time pad encryption. And those keys were moved from embassy to embassy around the world by a diplomatic courier. And you had a perfectly secure quantum connection between Moscow and the White House, hmm. actually the red phone during the... Uh, in the height of the Cold War, it was encrypted just that way. But those were quantum secure. A one-time pad key over any network, as long as you hand-carried it to those endpoints, but that doesn't scale. That's not practical in modern networks. And that's really what QKD does and what quantum networks will do in the future. But again, that requires a physical device to be the receiver and the sender at those endpoints. And those things don't exist yet for something like a cell phone. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, always interested in partnerships. Seem like there are more and more, you know, interoperational kinds of uh, collaborations going on, if you will. I noticed that you're working with QSide, and I wondered if you could give our listeners a sense of what kind of solutions 
you're developing with, with this partner? So one of the first things that we needed for uh, post-quantum crypto and for crypto in general is, you know, step one in any cryptographic or encryption process is generate a random number that turns out to be a super hard problem. Uh, noise sources, electronic or thermal, are not actually random. They're generally chaotic. And these aren't uh, truly random. They just emulate something that is truly random. They're made to pass statistical tests. And statistical tests cannot determine if something is random or not. They can only give you some idea. And so for QSide, we read some of their papers from the 2014 to 2015 about how do you use a quantum entropy source that's based on telecommunications lasers to generate large amounts of random numbers. We looked at some of the other ones that were on the market that, oh, sure, they had a little bit of quantum effect in them that they said they could extrapolate from that and say, this is a random number. We disagreed with the science on them. So we invested in QSide to build the first generation hmm. of optical quantum random number generator sources that are truly quantum in nature. And that's what we use them for. They're build the world's best right now. So Dennis, tell me about your partnerships with the three national labs. I read that you're working with Oak Ridge and Los Alamos and Pacific Northwest. So what kinds of collaborations are you undertaking and what's the focus and the expected deliverables as a result of those interactions yeah, so for those two interactions we need multiple entropy sources to generate huge amounts of random to support these post-quantum algorithms which have huge key sizes which actually for the symmetric side can go from you know the aes versions now up to a full one-time pad system which needs bit for bit the actual amount of data that you have will be the same amount of key material that you need to generate so the governments have used these for you know, decades and they funded all this research before we called them. And so for Oak Ridge, it was how do we make that tabletop experiment, that source that they have viable for something that fits inside of a server. And no one better in the world than their quantum information sciences group. These are top tier physicists and information scientists to do the analysis and the work on that foundational work on it then for us to take that same work, license all the patents, have it all validated publicly, again, in peer review journals, what we did, how we did it, and use that as the, the, the raw materials that we need for our crypto. Similarly with Los Alamos, they're very different techniques. And knowing what happens inside of a data center, lots of these techniques can be compromised by many different mechanisms. So it's very important to have a diversity of entropy sources and means for generating those random numbers for your crypto because they are the first step in every encryption algorithm. So I know in addition to working with QSide, you're also working with Valtteri. You have another partnership, strategic relationship. Can you tell me about the work with that? So Valtteri is you know, an amazing new cryptographic company. They, they do something that's really hard. It's called homomorphic encryption. Hmm. And to do homomorphic encryption, you still need some mechanism to get the encryption keys to and from your vault. And that can't be in a post-quantum world, just a simple TLS exchange. So they use us to distribute the keys that they need for their solution and to get that extra layer of security so it doesn't compromise the whole system that they're building already. And they're a great company. We'll be at RSA together. It's really something that uh, is taking off that people have talked about it for decades. But Valtteri's probably the one or two or three companies in the world that's actually pulled this off commercially. So we're very happy about the partnership with them, not just because they're another 
cryptographic company, but because of what they're doing and bringing to the market to help secure this infrastructure that we keep talking about. The, the segue is the inevitable question around clients, right? So can you share who you're working with? I might, don't want you to you know, reveal any competitive advantage or uh, proprietary <laughs> data, obviously, but you know, who you're working with and what kind of data are you protecting for them? And does it tend to skew to certain verticals maybe initially? Or Yeah, it's the big enterprise that have the people inside the, you know, maybe quantum physicists or professional cryptographers that really understand high security infrastructure. So some of them are public, you know, we've, we've worked with Telefonica in Europe in the past, but the big telecommunications providers, internet providers that need these secure links uh, between, you know, different parts of their organization that, that are really the, the crown jewels of those organizations, and then to make those things productized and available to their customer base. And also, of course, uh, any anyone that, that has secrets that have to stay protected for a long time, government is easy, intelligence community, of course, DOD as well. But in the financial industry and the healthcare industry, you know, there's HIPAA compliance. They have to have some layer of security and encryption for anything that they distribute, whether it's medical records, financial records, uh, you know, account information, these things don't change minute to minute. They're, you know, if they're harvested now and decrypted a few years from now, they're still important. They're still valid. I have the same, you know, Wells Fargo account that I've had for, you know, 15 years. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Um, I want to shift gears just for a moment and talk about QEDC. So um, I joined the organization like last year um, as I became more and more involved with Insight Quantum Technology and the, uh, and the team there. But I wonder how you, you know, became involved in your you know, founding member, if you will, and what is your sense of the role of this organization? It's really to drive and organize the U.S. quantum industry. We saw how quickly Canada organized around a couple of different organizations, similarly in Europe, and how quickly China, in particular, really heavily funded immediately. Uh, when they saw the opportunity, quantum institutes, a quantum training program, uh, start with kids in kindergarten, identify who's good at science, and let's have a path for them to get to the graduate level and become you know, quantum mechanics experts for this huge opportunity, economic opportunity for any country. And the QEDC, to me, uh, was the only mechanism that existed uh, to bring that community together. You know, we periodically meet we have another plenary coming up we should all cooperate and collaborate we're not competitors this industry is so small the opportunities are so large that we could learn from each other build partnerships uh, you know we're in secure quantum communications where there's lots of quantum computing companies well we can work with them on doing crypto breaking to advise our uh, community that's interested in how do I protect myself against quantum computers. A lot of synergies there and really organizing it and getting this next generation of talent uh, funded through NSF programs all the way down to the high school and even earlier levels. We're, we're falling behind on talent. You want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Crypt and finding talent. So how do you go about recruiting for your company? And uh, it seems like many companies have affiliations, say, with universities. Um, but I'll, that said... You know, they're not just science uh, skills, right? I saw on your website that you're looking for a VP of sales government and a senior design leader. Those two roles are listed. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to point those up for, you know, non-science specific roles for our listeners. Yeah, How do you yeah. go about finding talent? 
we need those as well. And, and really the job fairs that we go to at the university level to get the early career folks in, uh, maybe people just graduating college or, or looking for internships in grad school, get them in now. And then when they graduate, if they like what we were doing here, they, they could come in long-term. Recruiting is probably 25% of my job is you know spending time mm-hmm. on LinkedIn and Indeed, directing people to come to us because the recruiting cycle is so long in quantum and the group of people that can kind of get their mind around what we're doing. They don't have to be quantum physicists. Like you said, the government salespeople, they already know security. They've sold crypto systems. They've sold high security applications. It's not going to take them that much to learn what we do and explain that to the next client base in the government. So we need everything from everywhere. And we don't have a national program yet the way China does. So commercially, we're, we're helping through the QEDC, through the MQA and other organizations to get there. Well, that's great insight. Thank you very much for sharing that perspective. I think it's important that our listeners realize that there are broad range of opportunities in quantum information science. Um, Absolutely. And, that they, you know, and, and there's opportunities that people should investigate. And we'll train people coming in. You know, no one came in knowing uh, this kind of next generation crypto and infrastructure. They learn that when they're here and they'll learn quickly in three to six months. We'll get them very smart about it and they'll be able to talk about it just as well as I can. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, Dennis, we've come to the end of our conversation. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I, I really enjoyed our, our chat. Thanks for sharing your insight and perspective. Anytime. And thank you for all the good work you do bringing the quantum message to the masses and really organizing our community because we read your newsletter every day. I think it's great. Great. Well, thank you for the, for the kind words. Yeah, just to plug Inside Quantum Technology Newsletter, um, always interesting content. Stay abreast of the latest in quantum by subscribing. Um, I want to invite people to follow you, Dennis, and the company on LinkedIn, certainly, as you mentioned before. I'm going to point them to your website, uh, crypt.com. Again, there's a career or jobs page, so people interested in getting involved in the space and working for a tremendous company like Crypt should definitely go there and, and check it out. So, Thank you for inviting me. Thanks again, Dennis, for joining me today, and thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Dennis. You can learn more about Inside Quantum Technology at InsideQuantumTechnology.com. Listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already, and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.